Hi folks! Before we get started, we'd like to talk to you about something super exciting. No, it's not Casper Mattresses or Blue Apron. It's the Box Not Included live show. That's right. We're going to be hosting and recording a panel at this year's Nine Worlds Geek Fest, which is going to be running from Friday the 4th of August to Sunday the 6th in Hammersmith, London. If you like our show, then Nine Worlds is definitely the convention for you. Yeah, the convention's focus is on media analysis, diversity, representation, all the things we love talking about. But there's also loads of entertainment such as sing-alongs, workshops, vendors, and it's family-friendly. So if you're interested, go to nineworlds.co.uk to book your tickets. If you want to see Box Not Included live or come to my workshop on getting started in D&D. Nice plug. Thank you. As well as all the amazing content the convention has to offer. Yeah. So we'll see you there. Hopefully see you there. And welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, critical fail on the streets, natural 20 in the sheets. <laughs> and I'm Jade, succeeding but with mixed results, Rose. And uh, today we are pleased to introduce a guest host for the, not just one, not just two, but three episodes. You've heard their cackle. They're a comic book writer and artist. They're a LARPer. They're a regular panellist at Nine Worlds and they are here in the studio. <laughs> Please say hello to... Melissa Piss Witch Trender. <laughs> Welcome to the studio. Yay, I'm so excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. I love your podcast. Thank you. I'm here to lower the bar. <laughs> Nay, you raise that bar. Uh, um, yeah, welcome. We've wanted to have you on for a while. Yeah. Um, Sung your praises on numerous occasions. Yes. Um, and so uh, As you should be. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about a subject we didn't want to do. Now we wouldn't dream of doing without you, which is indie tabletop role-playing games. Yeah, seeing as I sired you. Yes. <laughs> um, regular listeners will know that we talk about role-playing quite a lot, but it's very much... I say very much. It's largely limited to Dungeons & Dragons because that's the system I'm most familiar with. We also talk a little bit about fate. But uh, there's a lot more that you can do around the table with a few friends and some dice, or in my case, I play online quite a lot. But people tend to think tabletop RPG, they think D&D, which for a lot of people, that's great and that's what they want. But people don't always get on with that system. And there is a whole wealth of stuff that's out there. And Mel's going to tell us all about it. <laughs> no pressure. Um, tell so us everything. What would you define as an indie game? Oh, my God. Um... Uh, don't worry about dead air this is fine I'm like is there wankery involved (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know I think that it is because I think that you can take um, I speak from my own experience with indie games um, but I have found that indie games come with a certain type of system and come with a certain type of attitude and I think that you could make a very indie feeling D&D campaign if you inserted the attitudes that people in indie games have and you can have a very, I don't know, what the other one, trad or you know conservative um, indie game if you brought with it the sort of um, attitudes and expectations that you would play uh, that you would take from maybe D&D or something into the indie game. So it's really hard to define, but like indie games range from more dice than you would ever roll in D&D, which is like right up and with more mechanics than you can ever um, have in D&D, right up to a GMless game where it's people sat around a table all wearing masks. <laughs> you know, like... There's, there's a whole gamut of systems yeah. and mechanics. I mean... I mean, I found often with indie games, obviously indie independent, it's small time publishers. A lot of the time I found, and I found that really interesting, is a lot of these indie games, people put open source, like people who can just play them, which yep. is like, I find very refreshing with game design. It's like people want people to play test and like come back yeah. and it's sort of, there's a real community feel to a lot of the indie games. Well, it's interesting because it's, it's basically the niche of niche because let's be clear, D&D is not a mainstream hobby. <laughs> So to then be the indie version of D&D... Are you saying this is the hipster version of <laughs> Yeah, I am. I'm going there. It was early in the podcast, but we're here. episode where I rolled this dice before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please do that. 
Um, um, I play this system. You've probably never heard of it. <laughs> I mean, I'll be saying that a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, so one, my first impressions, I, the first role-playing experience I ever had was Pathfinder, um, which I would link in the same group as D&D. Like, yeah. not yes. an indie game. Um, and the constant battle I have is kind of like board game versus storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes you've told me, well, then you're just doing storytelling with a bunch of friends. Yeah. Um, and I feel like different systems are kind of trying to shift that line or blend it and do different things based on preference. Yeah. Well, I guess, like, the, the real spectrum is wargaming and board gaming. So Descent mm-hmm. um, to satting around setting <laughs> sitting <laughs> it's grammar <laughs> uh, sitting around a campfire you know and the, like that in within that spectrum is every tabletop game ever I yeah. guess I'd be very interested if there were games that stood outside that those two diameters but um no I think it's fair to say that they fall somewhere on that spectrum yeah. we're big fans of spectrums yeah. here yeah. Bucks not included <laughs> um I want to just do a little brief origin story to yeah. my relationship and your relationship with board games and role playing because when we moved in with each other you said to me I'm really into role play and I said <laughs> that's cool do whatever you like just we share a wall so we keep quiet um, I mean we did have that conversation as well I yes. remember <laughs> um, but um, I I hadn't even played Dungeons and Dragons then and I would have the 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 normie view of what Dungeons and Dragons is from an outside and I just remember you having your role players come over and I walked into the kitchen and like you were in tears someone else was like there was like stuff on the table half of it was like you know samosas <laughs> but the the emotions coming from your table seemed so real and yeah. looked very draining and stressful uh, yeah, but like okay very fulfilling and then I, I was like I want to be part of that yeah. um, and I didn't get that from our first um, yeah, Pathfinder session but it's, <laughs> I, I think you can get that potentially but I want to talk about why you do role play and like what what I mean, the tabletop kind. Yeah. yeah what, what, what are you about? What's, like, what's the like? <laughs> what what draw what draws it to you? Because it's something that you're very familiar with. You've spent a lot of time doing. What yeah. is it about it that appeals outside of gaming, for example, or just board games? What is it about role play games that interests you? Pain and suffering, ah. and the suffering and pain of others. <laughs> the human condition. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't see the look I wish is giving Mel, and it's, and it's bringing me so what? much joy. What am I giving? It's actually a fairly standard look you give Mel, but I don't get tired of seeing it's it. It's a loving look. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a really hard question to answer because I too have my roots in um, pre-standard roller d twenty. Um, to do anything sort of games like I started role playing tabletop when I was uh 15-ish um like a weirdo friend of mine who I adored because they were like two two three years older than me um and they lived in London and I got to go and visit them for their birthday and it was like the most amazing weekend of my entire tiny nerdy life because I was in London playing tabletop with all these cool older nerds Um, I kind of had that with (laughs) Yu-Gi-Oh I played a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh too but that was my my people um (laughs) and uh yeah and so that sort of like introduced me to it and then when I came to London um and we went to Kingston University and I signed up um for the Kingston Geek Sock which was the worst fucking idea of my entire life (laughs) um and I've made some mistakes Um, (laughs) where I sat around a table with 12 players, one GM, which, as we know, um, is just a nightmare. Um, it took us two hours to get out of the tavern. Um, it was full of players that thought it'd be funny to randomly punch the bartender. Like, I have no right. idea what anyone was getting out of that game. Uh, and then it culminated in a, a man telling me that I was playing my character wrong because chaotic good wouldn't have done that um and I never returned um (laughs) thankfully um I also knew some other nerds that were in uh King's Geek Sock so um King's College London uh and uh I sort of tagged along there and then they were much more into their indie games um and then sort of bore 
my love of that. Um, and then I had a sort of summer where I was introduced to Dogs in the Vineyard. I which really want to play Dogs in the Vineyard. My first ever proper role playing game where I can remember having a visceral reaction to this is the kind of tabletop I want to do. Mm. Um, and it's a. My experience of it is a beautiful game. Um, it's got some. Uh, really interesting mechanics because if you know if you if you're coming from it from the position of only ever doing maths on a table it just blows your tiny mind that you can have dice that mean different things that um there's what a really one of the things that stands out in the system is that um you have to think of character flaws as well as character traits but the character flaws don't mechanically mean a negative um uh, a negative effect so the idea that it's simply telling a satisfying story and you can the idea to play to lose starts to come into play there and um you know and just sort of like uh, yeah i feel every indie game system has its little elevator pitch line like what's the system yeah can, yeah like um i did want to talk about fate because it's the only one i think all of us have played yeah it's certainly in, one we've played together. It's one we've played together. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, we have. Um, and I was trying to explain that to people, and I think my main thing when I said about that was just that its selling point is just aspects where things aren't necessarily described by numbers, they're described by, like, choosing the right words. Mm. Um, and I think that's one thing I've come across a lot more in indie games, where your character sheet is less your stats and more you can learn less numerical the, more words yeah, yeah you can learn who the person is yeah um and i find that quite interesting yeah um it's a pain to gm some of these systems because my just my mental process goes to D like one of the big differences between D and fate is that whole in D and like rolling perception seeing if something is there yeah and versus fate's I want to roll to make something be yeah. there. Yeah, in D&D, it must already exist, and in Fate, you create it. Mm. Yeah. So, that's... I just think there's a different brain process. Oh, absolutely. To like, 100%. Um, so it's quite hard, and sometimes you have to just work out what your game... what you're doing a game for. Mm-hmm. If you want to just show a great adventure to your friends, or if you want to build something together yeah yeah i think it very much like with any i think tabletop game it's all about what are you interested in getting out of playing because they're for all, there are going to be people that are always into mid-maxing into causing damage and dnd can lend very heavily to that i don't doubt there are indie systems that also lend themselves yep. to that but i feel like a lot of the indie games that i've experienced either as an observer they seem to lean more towards people that pursue that board game mentality of numbers. It's more about creating narratives or mm. playing with the form of storytelling and game playing. Yeah. Like cooperative, whatever their goals may be, interesting ways to cooperate or work in opposition to your fellow players. Yeah. Which is what makes them so interesting to me and why I would like to play many, many more of them yeah. than I have. Well, I um, that's one of the, like I said at the beginning, that there's system indie tabletop and there's attitude indie tabletop. Oh, right. Um, and that is exactly it. It's, it's the idea that we are people sat around a table working towards a common goal. Um, an easy way to, I think, describe this is um, in D&D characters can have secrets and things um that you keep away from other characters and that's seen as part of adding into it and and, um uh but in tabletop one of the attitudes in indie tabletops the attitudes are more things can be kept secret from the characters but it is more narratively satisfying if everything is open to the players so that every player can work together to create a narratively satisfying reveal mm. of that character's secret. Yeah. The thing I admire you as a player of these games is your ability to separate yourself from your yeah. character. I don't think Mel could met a game if you played. <laughs> like, like you, you, you. Uh, what I mean is, you understand games and how they work, and you could. But you are so true to how your character would be in the moment. Like, you're always willing to engage on the meta level. But what I mean is, they don't influence each other in a way that is uh, 
counterintuitive to the gameplay as opposed to people going oh well you've got a really high strength so you should be the person to kick down that door but they think that's quite hard because if that character's got a really high strength to kick down that door that character probably in the narrative looks quite strong Ah, but that's a different thing yeah that's um, a different thing I don't know it's just that when I've been with other group well the other D&D group we're with um, it's quite tough to remind people to behave in character and I don't think it's as detriment to them. They enjoy and play how they like, yeah. but um, that's something I need to keep reminding myself and learn. That uh, so I, I've mentioned before how I played characters quite similar to me, and then the moment I played as Nadia, uh, Katia, Katia, the <laughs> vampire bayonetta uh, <laughs> yes, spy, queen. I had I I just I understood what I was supposed to do in so many scenes a lot more. I was like. Oh yeah, that's what you do. That's why mm. I'm doing this. It's one of the one of the things I, I regret about our fake game that we played together is I felt my character was a little bit. I felt they were a little too indistinct from me. I felt like I should have done something uh, like like Mel, you and Paul did, where your characters felt very different from you guys. Whereas I felt the line between me and my character was not as distinct as I could have made it. I think that's always a paranoia that every player has because um, you're in yourself so you can see the differences and similarities that you have Mm. with your character. Um, I also always feel like I fall into the trap of playing an aspect of myself but then again, you know, in the the Sherlock... uh, Is it the Sherlock thing that says um, a disguise is always a mirror of yourself? Yeah. Um, people very often it's fascinating I, I, yeah. love, I love it so okay. oh, we can talk about the psychology yeah yeah, yeah. oh well. we will okay. <laughs> I'm here <laughs> um, so the idea that you only ever play your perceived uh, mirror of yourself or your perceived opposite of yourself but in the cracks of that you actually see what you by default value as a base as base human characteristics if that makes any sense no that is that's so i realized i have drawn graphs graphs you have there have to be graphs before they are fun um, <laughs> uh, of the idea of you know what is always what is by default my dump stat what is what do i always put numbers into and i've always found out that i put at least medium intelligence if there's any kind of number factor for intelligence Mm. i'm always playing um medium or high intelligence characters without thinking about that and just sort of like your brain goes well that's the thing that i do that that's the normal you know this will be a normal character that normal character will be um this intelligent and i sort of um it was an interesting point in my tabletop career when I, this was quite early on, but, you know, thought to myself, no, let's actually try and sort of play with stats that I never really play with. So playing less intelligent characters or, you know, other things. Um, You mentioned it uh, before we started recording, like tabletop or RP as therapy. And (laughs) that I think is a subject that really could be its own. I actually pitched a panel for nine where they didn't get picked. but the idea of i feel like larping probably comes into that like embodying another character as therapy so i absolutely agree this could be an entire different subject and i've got a lot to say on it um so i'll try and condense it down um larping and role players therapy are different and it is very dangerous Mm. to assume that larping therapy is the same as tabletop therapy Mm. i made them i made this mistake because tabletop was so important to me and so pure and full of all my friends that loved and supported me and was an absolutely safe space Uh. i ran into the larp community thinking it would be the exactly the same thing decided i would play a character with all these beautiful nuances with all these flaws with all everything that i wanted to work through i mean i probably sound like the worst wanker i don't Therapy is always going to be a back part of tabletopping. I don't go into every game thinking, this is what I'll be working out in this game. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Even though it does end up like that sometimes. Um, But then suddenly in the LARP field, especially Fest LARP, um, it's not the same for all LARPs, but yeah, suddenly you're surrounded by a field of 1,500 people. You don't know them. You you can't trust them. And you're exposing a part of yourself Mm. um, in a physically unsafe environment in an emotionally unsafe environment and suddenly you've got all these fucking time bombs waiting to go off going off on each other you know yeah you've talked to me before about in LARP 
um, in Empire. Yeah. How? Oh yeah, that's allowed by Blay. Written out, there's all these rules about equality and all that stuff, yeah. but that's not going to be that. That's actually a real struggle for a lot of people to remember. Yeah. That in your game, even if you are wearing a dress and presenting very femme, you might not be playing that, or you might like. The idea that you have these nuances that you can't discuss at the table. Yeah, not, they're not being read, you know, by um, other people. And if you have a, um, it's it's Empire, a profound decision. That Empire, which is the the lot that I play, is uh, it tries and it succeeds at some things and it fails at others and it is as ever a flawed system. Um, it will always be flawed because it will always be interacted with by people that don't get it, don't want to get it, etc., etc. Um, but yeah, you know, you can't leave, you can't come from patriarchal sexist society into a game that instantly says there is no sexism or patriarchy. Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't work like that. So it's very hard to then um, address that topic in character. If someone is sexist to you in character, you can't call them out on that sexism. I mean, I've this is a huge, huge yeah. topic. Yeah, I was going to say also, I suppose, like the, the out of... Whereas tabletop, out of character, in character, can be. Um, whereas LARP is very much, you, know, you inhabit the character. And so out of character thought, is it's a, it must be a very different kind of thing. Yeah, I think this is probably... We're going to get very, very off topic very quickly. If yeah. you go down this we'll road. talk about that another time. <laughs> LARP will be a later topic. Yeah. Um, I sometimes... This is a kind of just quickly. I sometimes view games, and I, I don't mean verses in the t- sense of against each other, but games have a different... Uh, balance of power between mm. GMs and players. Yeah. Um, I don't. D and D can be played where the GM is quite powerful, um, and it's, I'm not making any judgments on ways. Whatever. One of the things that I found quite stressful about Fate was that I felt almost no power. Um, you guys can't say Mel is grinning maniacally. <laughs> not I will say I want to. I want. I I do want to clear one thing up, and it's that because um, we have had questions asking for updates about my Power Rangers fate game. Oh. I mentioned ages ago. So, well, you are you you remove them from the inbox before I ever have a chance to look at them. Do I? So I yes, you do. I don't do that by. It's fine. I I don't remember removing anything. It's fine. Answer the um, question. No, I got asked on Twitter. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Um, that was me. It did kind of fall apart, and it was down to me not knowing the rules fully and wanting to do something different. I don't think because, for example, you and Paul were you knew the rules. I don't think it was either of your fault. Yeah. I think it was. I just wanted a solution, not yeah the right solution. Yeah. So. I didn't really care. I would, I would I would play it with one of you, or I don't know. Anyway, I played another fake game where we were so far off the rules, like some stuff I didn't know why was happening, but it was fine. What I'm trying to say <laughs> is, I've been trying to start a um, fates uh, game with someone else, and I'm having to say fate is the system in which we don't control the narrative for our players to enjoy. Um, it's their choice, like how their stories go. Yeah. Um, and the person I'm making a game with, um, I think has all a lot of ideas for like great endings, and I'm having to say that like the endings are what the characters yeah. or the players decide how this ends. Yeah. And that's part of the reason the Power Rangers game fell apart. Um, I'm going to talk about at the end about creating systems and finding the right system for what you want to do. Mm. Um, But what are your thoughts on that kind of balance of who has the... Ultimately, it should be everyone, but Mm. who really has the story power? So, again, um, indie attitudes towards games, um, something that is uh, really important um, is that there is a big movement towards absolute player autonomy over their character um and there's a lot of games out there that really stress that x can happen y can happen z can happen and you get that choice so um apocalypse world uh shout out time um is a is one that does this uh it is um 
a uh, game that is quite high character threat um, and to balance that out you will always have a choice about how your character does eventually die you get to say when and how um, and with games that do have if you're investing emotionally in a character which you could do in a D&D game um, but have very little control over how they die that can be quite emotionally destructive um, so when you acknowledge that your games will involve that level of emotional investment for the players, it is then very important to acknowledge that the this must be handled carefully and that what is important is for that um, the end of that narrative to be in the control of that player um, to make sure that there's like no upset involved in that. I have been in more games where in D&D where when people have died their feeling has just been kind of annoyed and disappointed yeah. rather yeah. than super satisfied with like that was so right for my character yeah. you do have a certain amount of like going into something knowing mm. no, I, I'm in a really interesting place with one of my characters right now um, she's just found out she's had this time skip um, 120 years have gone by the woman she was in love with is was human so he's dead Breath of the Wild feelings yeah <laughs> spoilers for Breath of the Wild I don't know I haven't played it yet oh okay <laughs> okay but um, yeah and it's only been like f- well now it's been a couple of weeks in game time since this happened and like everybody in her life has died or left and she is having some real issues right now. And I think one thing she definitely knows is I will not let somebody I am friends with die again if I can do anything to stop it. And we've just had a fight and we're sort of mid-encounter right now. Mm-hmm. I'm at half health mm-hmm. and I'm aware that we're probably about to run into a Yeti, <laughs> possibly an abominable Yeti. If I get hit with certain attacks, I am going to be out. And my player brain is going... This is really bad. I love this character. I do not want this character to die. But for her, I'm like, okay, no, she could go out. And I think she would be happy about it going this way. She was to fall defending people. Because really, she's got nothing left to live for right now. And I'm like, this is a really interesting mental space to be in for her. I mean, there's a paladin in the party. There's a druid. She could get healed. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what's going to happen. And I'm like, I don't want to lose her as a character. But in character she would definitely throw herself on that proverbial sword so it's a really interesting thing but what's good is my rdm that choice about the 120 years me and him discussed that when yeah. i created the character i knew that was coming yeah but it's interesting i couldn't have predicted the fallout <laughs> so. i think what i do really like about fate and a lot of indie games is what you just said about your character i will not let someone die mm. if i can defend it is written on your sheet in fate as an actual game playing mechanic that would be a yeah. trouble yeah. Um, whereas that kind, the way I've played D&D before, that's had to remain in my head. Yeah. And often I've had these huge ideas about my character and there's no space opportunity to, mm. my instinct reaction is our first ever Pathfinder session. We got out of the airship and I said, are we going to talk about what happened? And I think our DM said, okay, yeah, you talk about it. Then you go to the town. Mm. And I was like, no, 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 we talk about it. I want to talk in character about... Mm. That's the kind of frustrating bit. An interesting thing, similar to sort of uh, the the fate element we were talking to. Um, I've been started listening to this podcast called uh, Friends at the Table. And their first arc uses Dungeon World, which is a hack of Apocalypse World. And one of the things they have is bonds. And it's to do a specific relationship or element of a relationship you have with another character that informs things and you can use that to aid or hinder and mm-hmm. things like that but what's interesting is at the end of every session similar to fate though we end up a couple is that uh, if you resolve your bond you get xp and then you get to create a new but so this is different this uh, that's this, not similar to fate it's similar to monster hearts or apocalypse World. my apologies yeah. uh, i remember there being something at the end of each session of fate but i can't remember it's been a, a while since we played <laughs> cookies <laughs> tissues passed Leave around yeah. uh, but yeah, that was a, interesting but to sort of circle around to a point you were just saying about player autonomy and stuff like that, what I found interesting about the dungeon, uh, dungeon world so far is that if you fail at accomplishing something when you do your role, you get XP for failing, uh, which is really yeah. interesting to me. 
because you learn more from your mistakes. And what's interesting is something came up in Fate, and I'm sure it comes up in other indie systems, is when shit goes wrong for your character, the way the narrative encompasses that, rather than depending on the running system of, say, D&D, or where you're maybe playing a set adventure where you have a goal you need to accomplish it, with a lot of these more indie systems, like, okay, so you can't do that. And the story takes a new di- uh, new direction on account to reflect what happened and that is really interesting and I think is something that is much more fun to play. One of the maxims of fate is, which I found quite hard to GM at times, never ask for a role unless success and failure is equally interesting. Do you remember the fucking door in the church in yep. the Dungeons Dragons game game? Yeah. We came so this is so Dungeons and Dragons I just I do really like. I just think it it benefits from having that indie mindset Mindset. when playing so for example we went we all the potions to save us were behind a door in a church right someone went up and there was a combat happening at the same time so a like a turn cycle took whatever try to just get into a door and rolled slightly poorly for about 10 goes for about 10 goes and then the truth was oh the door just had a little bit more HP and that's the story and so we walked away. And that's that kind of thing where... That's not the fault of the GM. That's not the fault of... You know, I don't want to be ragging on... Um, no, no, I just think it's... That game. But it's, it's just it's the system that it was in. But you can... I think D&D does benefit from the idea of only ask for a role if it's interesting. But you can't do that because you get XP if you roll a 20 at any point. So you're actually incentivized with D&D. Do you? Um... Yeah. Some systems you do. Well, that's what we did. We got some. Um, <laughs> My players better not listen to this. <laughs> I have never heard that. Well, whatever is on the table is on the table at that point. So yeah, what I mean is you are bound by the mechanics of the system that you are using. How you choose to utilize them as a GM or disregard them, as the case may be, you can play fast and loose with rules. That's one of those things. But at the end of the day, if you have certain core mechanics that your game is built on, you can't just go, ah, I'm going to ignore that. Well, I think... Um, <laughs> because it, it, your, if your whole game is founded on a system, you can only tweak the system so much before yeah. the game falls well, down. the reason that a system exists, it's a way of quantifying what you imagine would be good to tell a story with. Yeah. So elements of... I, I struggle with the notion that you can disregard um parts of systems i guess mostly because dnd is such a huge system you have to um but a system is designed um consciously and will involve aspects of the game that the writer wants to be in there Mm -hmm. so in dnd there is no sex move because you know that's not what dnd is about in apocalypse world there is a sex move and um, I need to play me some Apocalypse World. Yeah, well, so it's really fascinating, and I've had discussions with people that have liked that, and I've had discussions with people that don't like that. But in D anD D, I've never played a game where any any character has ever had any romantic relationship with another one. Oh. Apocalypse World. Oh yeah, we're shagging all over the place, and that's great, and it's because it's there. The permission has been given that that can be an element of the story, um, and similar to this. We had a um, really, really freeform indie game that a, f- a friend of mine made that was, we all played gods, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it failed because they'd introduced a um, PvP mechanic. Um, and because there was a PvP mechanic, people started fighting each other. Uh. If there hadn't been a PvP mechanic in the game, the game would have, I think it would have gone a lot longer um and so you have to be really careful with what a game is insinuating that you can do and what would be fun to do by mm. stuff that it includes mechanically in the game yeah i suppose the more game mechanics you have the more freedom you have to maybe drop them yeah. whereas if you have a game on based on four core mechanics or like for example um dread which i really want to talk about <laughs> is based around rather than there is no doubt it is based around a jenga tower yeah. Please tell them more, everybody, because I, I I've seen it played on tabletop. Dread is a fantastic game. Uh, my introduction to Dread was at a uh, nerd nerd retreat where I went with a couple of my friends to a cottage in Wales or something, 
and uh, I there was a point in the game where and I've never done this before in any other tabletop game had to leave the table and nervously pace the room as somebody tried to pull out a fucking Jenga block <laughs> because it was so nerve-wracking and it was a horror game as well and like yeah. who who the hell would have thought that a horror game could work perfectly mm. with a fucking Jenga tower yeah, like what? Yeah because the whole premise of Jenga is is it going to fall or not and the whole game that is based around the ramping of tension is such yeah. an ingeniously simple and devastatingly effective way to play genius this is kind of completely unrelated but I want to say it. it's my podcast you know, it's, it's, it's part it's of your, your podcast, podcast I, is it? it's your podcast you have a problem with this I think and say it's my podcast and it's also your podcast I don't have to always like I say, you know, I when say, I, when I say I my talk, flat I don't always have to say me and Justin's when flat. I talk about this game I, say, I have this podcast with my friend it's oh. our podcast but I I'm guess sorry. we just think differently <laughs> anywho um Yes. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe came out this weekend. Oh, Hamish. And I've been playing it, and that's, like, my game. It's the only game I've ever really played competitively. Um, and it's basically just a port of a game, a Mario Kart game that came out three years ago. Anyway, the reason I'm saying this is I played it yesterday, and I got such a wave of weird stress nostalgia mm. because I was like, I have never experienced this really specific type of fear and of losing and stuff <laughs> since the last game came out and there was like a year in which I didn't play it and like I was free of that so I find it really fascinating if you're trying to make a game and thinking the horror of playing Jenga is exactly the feeling I want to give people yeah and I've been trying to come up with um I'm going to talk about this maybe at the end about creating your own systems yeah and I just I've, thought something needs to do with involving Kaplunk, you know, the one with the... <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to think of that kind of idea. A, there are a couple of games that sort of um, lean on that um, unpredictability of physical um, environment. So there's another game, I can't remember the name of it, where you um, stack... Uh, D8s or D20s I can't remember oh, right. and depending on the power of your attack you have to stack it in a certain place and oh, I'm, I'm a bad person I can't remember names but um, yeah again you know there is sort of the surprise the shock and the ho- of horror is aided I think by the sort of um, unpredictability of physical yeah props to the creators of, uh, of dread for that one yeah. is 10 candles similar in terms of there's like a fun gimmick so 10 candles is um sort of i mean it riffs on the physicality of things in the gaming room um and there is the danger of if you accidentally blow out a candle um that happens but we've never I've played it a couple of times we've never been in a situation in which the candle a candle has gone out what's the, um, I, I, I'm not familiar with yes, Ten Candles sorry sorry um, Ten Candles is a game um, where you sit in a dark room with some friends uh, <laughs> and uh, you light ten candles um, over the course of character creation and then um, as you go around telling the horror story um you blow out a candle every time someone fails a roll. Oh, interesting. Um, and so at the beginning, the players have a shared pool dice of 10 or 8. I, it makes sense for 10. I've got a bad memory. Um, and you just have to roll a single 6 within that roll for it to be a success. Oh, but do you lose dice? So you? eventually you go around and as the story progresses, more dice get given to the GM and then if the GM rolls, they get to have narrative control over it. Ooh. And it's slowly, as the story progresses, you you start going up against harder and harder odds and you're fighting more and more desperately. And it is a game that you go into it knowing that all of your characters will die. Um, and it's a lot of fun. And the best thing about it is that when you finish the game, the final candle gets blown out, you're all sat in darkness. And That sounds um, amazing. Every single time I've played it we've had to have a couple of minutes sat in that darkness after we finished it in silence just to like calm down and it feels very strange then to relight and i think we've never gone to light the switch we've always relit the candles to then talk about the game that's wonderful because it would see it seems too weird to have that harsh light of a, of an electric light in the room mm. um i want to play yeah it's really really good um there are some really lovely elements in that game 
Uh, I yeah. mean, some games seem to lean more on the... Some systems lean more on, you can do anything. Yeah. And some are, this is a very specific type of story. Yeah. And I find that quite interesting. So one of my favourite you-can-do-anything games is a game called Siren, um, which is a uh, usually one-off. I've never played it in a campaign. Um, all, all the players know is that you, you're you being chased, you can't remember anything, and, oh, maybe you've got some superpowers. And that, that is it. Um, and you the interesting thing about that is there are no rules for what superpower you can claim to have. You just have a slot that says, do I succeed in this superpower or not? And... Um, uh, I think players choosing to um, cut down and moderate their own behaviour is really interesting, and that in that game you can have all of the superpowers if you want, but it's not an interesting story. Mm. So maybe you pick, you've got control of water, and then you ch- you stick with that, and then you can do ice stuff, you can do breath stuff, you can do blood stuff if you want to do you know blood bending. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I think when you're given ultimate possibilities. You, it is good to pare down mm. as well. I mean, what do you think about games that maybe come with their own very, I don't want to say strict mythology, but uh, Dogs in the Vineyard, I've only seen, I've watched a Let's Play, it seems to have a very established world that you then play, and rather than it being, I could be wrong, I've not played it, but it seems to be like there's a, a, a setting in place. Like mm. D&D, you can play one of the established settings. Apologies for you guys who might be bored about hearing D&D, <laughs> but it's a good point of reference yeah. for mm. different both Base. differences and similarities. My understanding of Dogs in the Vineyard is like, it's effectively they're giving you a world to play in and a mechanic that you use within that world. And I find the, the, the setting interesting, like this premise. Yeah. But it's that... Um, Dogs in the Vineyard, are there any other games that are similar to that? Like, they give you a setting as well as the mechanic, rather than being a very freeform thing like Fate or like Dread, where you could tell any kind of story you wanted, but it just has that horror slash suspense vibe. Yeah. Hasn't Monster Hearts got a kind of strict idea? Yeah, I've never heard of Monster Hearts. Oh my god, Jade. Whoa. Oh, um, this this game is like basically for you. Oh no. Um, Oh no. So it is a hack of Apocalypse World. Um, Apocalypse World uh, has, um, is set in the apocalyptic future um, where something has gone wrong. No one really remembers what is wrong. You have four main stats. (sighs) Hot, sharp, cool, and weird. I oh think. my god! Right, that's, that's Apocalypse World. That's my title for the next cool and weird. Monster Hearts is a hack of that game where it is supernatural beings in high school. Oh my god! <laughs> um, and so oh, yeah, I've completely. So one of the great things about Apocalypse World is that you um, have player skins, so you don't get to choose who you play. Um, you pick a skin, and that skin is a stereotype that belongs in that world. So uh, the easiest one is uh, the Battle Babe. Yeah, uh, the Battle Babe. Um, actually, I can remember. Isn't it stunning? Super hot. Gender is irrelevant. It's just you are yeah, the yeah, most yeah, gorgeous yeah. of your people. So you've got, um, but also don't fuck with her mm. or him or they. Mm. It's actually very good with being completely. Um, you have cho- choices to look androgynous in any sheet. Oh, that's awesome. So. Um, the or the gun lugger is a great Apocalypse World skin because it they all have really flavorful descriptions oh, cool. and um, theirs is uh, in this world it's all about scarcity but uh, there's enough gasoline and enough bullets so there's, a, so there's enough for you gun lugger and it's just <laughs> like beautiful. so you've got these little flavorful things yes so monster hearts the skins are you can play the witch you can play the queen you can play the mortal which is a uh, the chosen one which is a riff off of Buffy you can play the mortal you can play the ghost um why am I talking about monster hearts because I because really need to know about <laughs> <laughs> um Things which have like a really not a strict setting, but oh like yeah, yeah, sorry, fate. Yeah. You're going through the fate book, and there's like cowboys and yeah. gorillas and all so that. So this is a game that has the setting. Yeah, this yeah. is set, shapes it for you before you. Yeah, you sort of the idea is that you're teenagers ish, and that you're in either a summer camp or high school or whatever, and mm-hmm. um, so that's a pretty rigid setting. Um, Maybe I need to play this game. I just oh, heard yeah. this game as like just tears and gaze. It is fucking tears and gaze. Actually, um, talking about etiquette of role-playing, which I always come back to, mm. uh, it was the first tabletop game that I played where I had a trigger-warning discussion before we started it because I wanted to play a character that was outwardly abusive to other characters and it was 
really nice to sit down with my group and say, hey, everyone, like, I'm thinking of playing this character. Um, you know, can we have a talk about yeses and nos? And we'll put an X card on the table. An X card is a card that you can tap at any point during the role playing, um, which is a player saying no thank you, and you move on unquestionably from the scene. There's a bunch of other really cool other mechanics that you can use about consent, which you can talk about later if you like. Um, but yeah, like it just sort of involved these sort of games, they bring out a really interesting thing to explore, and um, I really enjoyed. It's weird to say I enjoyed playing Spencer because he was horribly abusive. Going back to role player therapy, I got to explore a lot of the relationships that I had in high school and I had with you know adults in my life and the way people have treated me, you know. And you sort of, it is important to let everyone at the table know that you're doing it because mm. it's unfair to involve other people in you working through your own issues. Um, but yeah, like that really sort of was a, was a moment that shone out in mm. my tabletop. I think like you're saying about role plays therapy is like getting to do things you wouldn't get to do that wouldn't be safe for you to do to act in a way that you wouldn't or be a person that you couldn't couldn't be in real life. It's something that like, I've not been playing tabletop um, for that long. I have yet to have a chance to play a male character. Mostly, well, I have done NPCs, but that's not really the yeah, same thing. Um, but every game I have played in has assumed towards male pl- players playing male characters, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to address this balance because I feel like there should be at least two ladies in this group of five, yeah, or whatever. Although I'm one of my characters is kind of uses she her pronouns, but really doesn't care, <laughs> which is which is fun. She's a rock gnome artificer yeah. with an attitude problem with a gun. So gender in games is really interesting. There's yeah. a game that I play called Kagematsu where it prescribes um, the players. It has to be a female identifying GM and it has to be male identifying players. Interesting. I know, because the game is about one lo- lonely ronin um, and uh, who is male but played by the female identifying um GM and then all of the player characters must be women played by uh, male dan- male identifying that is players. such an interesting choice it is really interesting but also we've only ever played it like once because then you you had such interesting restrictive player base and so I don't want you know thoughts on that uh, a... it sounds like an interesting system yeah else to say. <laughs> something that prescriptive or instructive on the on how you play it but also out oc as well as yeah that, that, that's what i mean out of character yeah in character that's such a cool thing i mean i think that depending on the whole sort of people you're playing with obviously as it as with any system and any game but yeah no that could be really interesting and it's, it's a it's a leaflet it's tiny so you could read it in like half an hour mm. so i should bring that i do find um tabletop etiquette very interesting and i kind of want to like give that its own time in it a way life. because I do think it's very interesting because some games you'll never have a discussion yeah and some games you might have too much of that discussion and one one thing that I have a problem at the moment trying to work out is I want to run a horror game in which I scare my players I also want to give everyone trigger warnings mm-hmm. I also don't want to spoil the scares so it just requires a little bit of wording and yeah I I almost you shouldn't necessarily bring these up at the table when we're all sat down ready to play because then you kind of have to say yes so uh there is one game that i played called after the dark which is literally role players therapy because you uh play a therapy session which is really funny (laughs) because i'm a joke about myself um but they before in part of catch creation is that you anonymously all write down your hard boundaries and then they get given to the GM, and the GM reads them out okay. anonymously. So I totally, like, it is really hard. Yeah, um, no, I think with that case, I suppose you could say, right, beforehand, so this is a game that will involve scares. Are there any things in particular? And you have to just do the research ahead of time. Go, right, there will be scares. Are there things that for you would not be fun scare? Yeah, that's it. Is <laughs> you, you talk about, well, things like, you just say, are there any things that would not be good? Like, if a giant spider turns up and tries to eat my head, I am out of the gaming room like my ass is on fire. <laughs> yeah. Like, I suppose give people that research with your players ahead of time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Leave yourself and flexibility. just topics, things about things often involving murders and investigations, and yeah. things often involve like brutal murders of certain details and stuff. Ideally, you're playing in a safe space with people you trust. I yeah. think it's about fostering an attitude around the table that at any point anyone can say, "Hi, uncomfortable." can we move on or high uncomfortable can i say what it is and then we can move on like mm. it's it's never set in stone and mm. you can ask for the trigger you can ask for what is like jade said not fun to play because like claustrophobia i am claustrophobic i hate yeah. it but when i'm in a good role-playing game and it's um a- shout out to mike duxbury who made me feel sick once describing crawling down a tunnel that was fun you know was, that's a safe way exactly to, so you know you're not in danger yeah i think it's just asking and, and yeah. for you to trust them to be honest and for them to trust you to treat that yeah. with respect i think as a, as a gm uh regardless of what system you're playing and i think it's about having that conversation with your players. When you're talking about, oh, what do you want to get out of this game? What sort of stories do you want to tell? You can also say, as a, as a GM, there are certain topics that I do not want at my table. And that mm-hmm. is your right as somebody running the game. Like, we will not address... Rape is a no-go and will never be in my game. If you do anything to an NPC or to another player character, no, we do not do that in this game. There are games where I'm sure you can find that. Ditto, just like um, it's come up recently on Critical Role. I won't go into details here because otherwise I could talk for hours. <laughs> um, some people were uncomfortable with um, some homophobia being addressed, and people just like, and uh, somebody I know who's a DM was just like, I don't allow homophobia in my games. Like my in my world, it doesn't happen because I deal with enough of that in my real life. I don't want to address it in my fantasy mm-hmm. worlds. Yeah. And I think that's your right as a GM and your right as a player when you are having that discussion with your GM to go, these themes are not fun for me to explore. Yeah. And it's about having that open communication. Yeah. And that's the whole thing about tabletop RPGs. Um, it's it's collaborative. Like everybody's creating these games together. So you should feel like you have that ability to um discuss and if you're in a group where you feel like you can't maybe that isn't the right group for you which is sad but is also a fact of life there are certain people that are going to want to we we tabletops and i love them as people super much i can't stress that enough but i was sat dnding with people and i i think we kind of talked about what we want to get out of the game and a couple people just like i want to do lots of fighting yeah i was like okay i don't (laughs) i want to sob yeah um we're coming to the end. Um, I did want to talk very briefly about the idea of creating systems because um, my one of my struggles and one of the struggles we kept facing with the Power Rangers one is the system didn't really give... I mean, you could do what you want, but it didn't give any information about the idea of transforming. Mm-hmm. So there was constant debate about, like, why would we transform? Well, how does that affect our stats yeah. if it does? So I went, like, looking for... I tend to find more magical girl type hacks about this. Um, And ultimately thinking like, if I just had the time and patience, I would just make my own system. Um, Is that something you could ever imagine doing or? Um, I um, flirt a lot with the idea of um, hacking systems. I know a lot of very talented people that actually do make systems and my respect for the trials and tribulations that they go through, mm. um, I don't think I don't think I'd really be interested in making a game from scratch just because I feel like there's so much out there that mm. is hackable. Um, but uh, yeah, so like find something that kind of works, but you just want to go. If that yeah, was a little yeah, bit yeah, more, yeah. and that was a little bit more. So like a Sense Eight game is something <gasps> I've been really <gasps> interested <laughs> in. <laughs> and what, Sorry, what system? I just would died. You s- yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and oh god, I've got such ideas. Like so, two groups of four, and no one would know who was in the other group because you're in different time zones and mm. all that. And then obviously slowly drip feeding cross as that's yeah, cool. you know. But that but that's not really. Um, hacking a system that's the flavour that I could put into any system so I'm like I'm lazy I like the story more than the mechanics I've, I'm someone who always thought they wanted to be a GM because I do like to control the story a little bit or like I ha- I, I write stories and I like coming up with yeah. things um, but it feels like it's been so long since I've been a player and something that I've really truly uh, I don't know I want to just do more gaming <laughs> full yeah. stop mm. I think creating a system um, if you're not necessarily so inclined like because 
I, I homebrew a D&D campaign and that <laughs> is like enough to make my brain go. But I think if you find a system that has a lot of elements that you like, feel free to tweak and to run as long as you're not trying to make money off it. I mean, yeah. by all means, especially with like sort of indie games, if you were to met, I'm sure I, I'm, I can't speak for every single person that's developed a game, but if you were to go, oh, I'm, I really like this system, I'm thinking of doing something based on it and advice... With there's commu- there's always going to be people out there who have may have hacked it before. It's certainly the case with D and D homebrewing. Yeah. Do your research. You might find that there's a game or a hack or a yeah. system. I'll put you in touch with some of my nerds. I've been looking for Power Rangers ones, and like I said, I've been thinking, oh, that has a nice transform, that magical girl one, that has a good robot thing, that has a good like yeah. trying to work out a system that all works. It's tough, but yeah. I really want to do a Power Rangers game properly. Yeah, yeah. Before we wrap. Um, now did you just want to rattle off some systems that you've enjoyed that so people can do some research for themselves and maybe give them a go yeah okay so we've got um, Apocalypse World which is the parent system to a bunch of hacks like Monster Hearts Dungeon World um, and uh, was there an and on the anyway yeah Apocalypse World <laughs> um, Dogs in the Vineyard is a really good one uh, Dread is a good one. We've got Ten Candles. And then um, I've mentioned some other ones, but one I didn't get to mention is uh, Witch, The Road to Linda's Van, which is a really nice one. It's about um, deciding whether to kill a witch. Oh, no. Off the top of my head. Always no. But maybe she's a witch, though. Always yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, okay. I saw Paranorman. <laughs> Killing the witch does not end well. Yeah, I've got tons tons more oh swords without masters which is a fun one we played that one is that do i remember that right it felt very much happening in real time yeah so swords without masters is where you start talking and then you don't stop talking um, until the end of the game because if they said oh he's coming towards you he's attacking you he's got a swarm up you're gonna do this and i have to be like okay i defend so the only way that you can stop the narrative of the action against you is to take control of the dice and then roll that dice and then start your own narration but like it lasts like two hours yeah, or something. it's exhausting, it's, but it's good fun. Yeah, I really want to do that again. I mm-hmm. ate your wings. You did. You fucking ate my wings. But it was great. I loved it. Um, <laughs> fate, obviously, Fate Core, um, and then also Fate Accelerated, which is um, a very sort of pocketbook um, version of Fate. Um, I feel bad because I feel like I've sort of forgotten a bunch that um, I love. I don't know. I just want to play more. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah, and also if you don't have a gaming group locally or friends locally, like a lot of these systems um, can be played online. Yeah, on forums. On forums. Um, Roll20 has a lot of systems inbuilt in, is compatible with them. Don't feel like you can't play, maybe because there isn't a game cafe near you. Though if there is a game cafe near you, go along, check it out. Meet like-minded peoples. In my experience, a lot of these games are available as free PDFs or... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, pay what you want from indie yeah. drive through or I can't what it's called. Things like that. Um, yeah. I tend to like read PDFs and then go, oh, I like this, buy the book. Yeah. As like, mm. kind of. Um, yeah. I know Monster Hearts had like a Kickstarter last year. Uh, so th- Monster Hearts version 2 made like a billion percent over its um, <laughs> That's limit. That's scary. Like grass. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it was nerds with expendable cash in it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> we love them. But yeah, um, explore. And if you have any recommendations, please ping us on the Twitter. Yeah, be very interested. In uh, we always want to try new things. Mm. It's, I'd love to I, in my dream I want to play one of these like short uh, one shots like as the podcast Ooh, <laughs> one yeah. day yeah that could be fun we'll do a special we'll, uh, we'll take our gear on the road oh yeah. also shout out to a book called Hashtag Feminism which is a uh, group of half an hour to an hour long mini games that you can play with friends oh check it out the second one in the entire book is about being a witch and playing spin the ball <laughs> beautiful um but yes if you want to get in contact with us um to, d- to suggest uh, any game for us to try or if you want to send us questions for no box vox pop anytime you can send those over to us uh get in contact um i'm mixing up the final order to really no, throw cool. everybody out I, but, um, um, I'd like to thank everyone for listening and uh we would really love any kind of rating reviewing or subscribing on itunes or your podcasting app of choice it really helps us out yeah it does and we've got to thank Graham Waller, audio overlord and master of the sound waves for our theme music helping produce the podcast 
once again, sorry, Graham. Uh, you can check out more of his work at GrahamWaller.com and he's got his own podcast, The Mix Cave. I want to thank uh, Mel for toot, coming, toot. coming onto the podcast. We're going to have you for a couple more episodes. We're very excited. Yeah, um, we have individual Twitters. Uh, Box Not Included is on Facebook, Tumblr, and Twitter, and at gmail.com, but our individual Twitters are... Yeah, you mix that sentence up in a beautiful fashion. I'm Jade Oxford Rose. I'm at Hamish Steele. And I'm at Tarragon. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We're so grateful. We're glad. We hope you had fun. Play some indie games. Make new friends. Tell stories together. But until next time, <laughs> I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele. I'm Melissa Trender. And don't let anyone box you in. <laughs> <laughs>